This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 45, The Ozark Howler. When people think of the rugged wilderness of the United States, it is common to hear about the Rocky and Appalachian mountain ranges. But an often overlooked and equally awe-inspiring piece of North American geography lies almost dead center in the heartland of the continent, the Ozark Mountains, or the Ozark Plateau, is a densely forested set of highlands covering over 50,000 square miles, from St. Louis, Missouri in the north, to the Arkansas River in the south. It is here, in the only large section of extreme topography between the coastal ranges, where legends of one of the most fearsome beasts ever described by man have been passed down for generations. These legends are passed down by locals who have heard and seen things in the forests of the Ozarks that conventional biology has failed to explain. Frightening sounds and eerie encounters have been reported in the more remote parts of Missouri and Arkansas, and even as far west as Oklahoma and South Texas. It is here in the far-flung forests of southern Missouri, back in hell's hot summer of 1994, that our story begins. Natalie, a native Missourian turned California transplant, finally convinced her husband Martin to visit her family's cabin. Natalie had a host of beautiful childhood memories in that modest little cottage, Her parents swept her away for every school break. Summers were spent fishing and hiking. Cool nights spent huddled under blankets, listening to scary stories around the campfire. That was her absolute favorite. And the wilderness of the Ozarks was packed with legends of baleful beasts and appalling apparitions. And now that a family of their own was on the horizon, she found herself longing for the places and stories that made her who she was. The first time that leave came in for Martin, the two hopped on a plane from San Diego to Springfield, Missouri, and before they knew it, they were driving their undersized rental up a winding mountain road at twilight. Oh, I just knew we shouldn't have waited on the truck. Now we won't be there by dark. Martin knew that tone like the back of his hand. Natalie was nervous. He knew that she was blaming him just a bit for the delay, but he also knew that it was just her way of alleviating those nerves. What puzzled him was the source of her concern. She was never one to get jittery on the road. She wasn't afraid of the dark as far as he knew, no dirt road phobias that he had been made aware of, 
He was stumped. What's wrong, love? I just, um, I don't know, it's just... She trailed off for a moment, then seemed to seize the first semi-rational explanation that came to her. You don't know these roads. Hell, I barely remember them. She shook the papers in her hand, the ones she had scrawled out the directions that her mother had given her earlier in the week. I spent two years driving convoys in Kuwait down roads that no one knew. I think I can handle Missouri, don't you? He said in an attempt to lighten the mood. But when he made eye contact with her, it was clear just how serious she was. I just went through a lot to plan this perfectly. We were supposed to be there before sundown. Her voice cracked at the end in a way that put a small pit of alarm in Martin's stomach. Why was this such a big deal? He flipped on his high beams and added a little pressure to the gas pedal under his foot. We'll get there, he said under his breath. It may have been a quiet declaration, but Natalie really did feel better. And they did get there. But the sun had been down for nearly 30 minutes when they pulled up outside the Coint Mountain cabin, and Natalie was a bundle of nerves. The car wasn't even in park yet when she threw off her seatbelt and began gathering her essentials. As Martin was about to turn the key, she turned and urged, A little farther. All right, all right. He sighed as he eased the car about four feet closer to the cabin. Far enough? She opened the door, stared left, then right, and turned back to him. All of the anxiety and fear that had colored her face for the last 45 minutes seemed to have washed away. She smiled broadly and breathed out a sigh that seemed like it had lived inside her for years. Perfect. She leaned over, kissed him on the cheek, grabbed her bag from the seat behind him. What are you waiting on? Martin was stunned. What the hell had just happened? Recognizing that sometimes apathy is the better part of valor, he opted to hold any questions for the time being. He popped open the door and stepped out, stretched his arms into the air and squatted toward the ground. Ninety minutes in the damned compact that he had fought so hard to avoid. It played hell on the bum knee that had him riding a desk since he got back from Desert Storm. It didn't matter now. They had arrived, and he had two whole weeks of quiet relaxation to look forward to. No work, no neighbors, no calls, no stress. Just his beautiful wife and this gorgeous country. He took a moment to take the place in. Well, as well as he could with only the tiny car's dome light for illumination. It was the kind of dark out here that he hadn't seen in a very long time. Through the canopy of trees overhead, he could see the most brilliant display of sky he had ever experienced. More stars than you could imagine. He had no idea how long he had stood there entranced when he realized that Natalie was calling to him. Marty! She actually yelled. It was clear it hadn't been the first time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, what is it? He said, still in a bit of a daze. Grab the bags, dear. Our humble abode awaits. She was so far from the worry that had taken her over on the way here. 
She was downright giddy. She shuffled through the leaves and walked up onto the front porch. He walked around to the hatchback and slid the key in to unlock it, stepping back to accommodate the upswing. He felt the ground change under him. Crunchy leaves replaced by something soft. Sand? He was almost certain there were no beaches near here. He bent down, sliding one foot back to take a knee, and felt the strange substance on the ground. It wasn't sand. It did feel familiar. Unsure why he felt compelled, but certain it was the right move, he licked his finger and pressed it into the heavy line of granules in the leaves. He pressed it to his tongue. Salt. Salt? He was dumbfounded. Upon closer inspection, he found that it had been poured in a line that disappeared in both directions around the perimeter. What the hell is this? He muttered. Marty, come on! I don't want to go in without you, Natalie shouted from the porch. He shook off the confusion, pulled two bags from the car, slammed the hatch, and headed toward the porch. I'm here, I'm here, let's go in, he said breathlessly. I need the key, she reminded him. Damn it, I always forget it in the hatch. Just a minute. He dropped their bags on the porch and headed back to retrieve the key. He saw the odd line of salt again, now scattered where he had knelt for his little taste test. Deciding that that night had been strange enough, he was content holding off any questions for now. He approached the cabin in a light jog, intent on seeing where they would be spending their blissfully serene holiday. He handed the keys to Natalie and followed her in. She turned on her flashlight found a box of matches, and lit a large green lantern that sat on a nearby kitchen counter. The cabin was simple, but very well kept. A large pull-out couch faced a surprisingly grand fireplace in the main living space. A large table sat in the middle of a well-decorated kitchen. To the back, a bedroom door, and a ladder that led up to a lofted space above. Natalie said that there were a couple of beds up there that served them well as children but Martin's trick knee wouldn't allow for any ladder climbing. Once the generator was on, amber-tinted wall sconces lit the space. It was much more than Martin had expected, honestly. It was cozy. It was perfect. They slept well that night, exhausted from their travels, and they spent the next few days lounging and exploring the woods around the cabin. It was exactly what they had both been needing. Time away from everything to relax, to rest, to reconnect. It wasn't until the fourth day that Martin remembered to ask about the line of salt that surrounded the property. Bending down after a short hike, he pinched some between his fingers for Natalie to see and sprinkled it into his other palm. What's with the salt? He asked nonchalantly. Don't mess with that, she snapped back at him. Shocked by the seriousness in her voice, he overturned his hand and took a step back. What the hell? It's just salt. What's it doing in the ground? I told you, there's weird shit out here, Marty. Those aren't just campfire stories. You have to be careful, she explained. He honestly couldn't tell if she was joking or not. He never pegged her as the type to believe in ghost stories. But it didn't take long to understand that she was obviously dead serious. 
All right, all right, let's just head back. He conceded. When he took her hand to walk back to the cabin, he couldn't help but notice the cold sweat that coated her palm. He grilled a pair of steaks and a few cobs of corn for dinner, and they spent the rest of the evening curled up in front of the fire reading. After a few minutes of fidgeting, Natalie stood up. I have to pee. Then we should head to bed, yeah? Sure thing, love. I'm bushed, he replied. Can you run out to the car? The extra paper is out there. Pretty sure we're out in here. Yeah, yeah, I'll just be a moment. She walked toward the bathroom, and he begrudgingly took the keys down from the hook and shuffled toward the car outside. He was barely awake until both of his feet were on the porch. A soldier develops a kind of sixth sense. The ones that survive, anyway. And when Martin stepped out into the night, every hair on his body stood up. Something was wrong. He took a tentative step down off the porch, then another, and another, all the while listening for signs of danger. This was a triggering of instinct on a level that he hadn't experienced since Medina Ridge. He halted at the sound of rustling to his right and spun on his heels. He didn't see a thing. He told himself it was just friendly woodland creatures, right? A squirrel or a raccoon or something, right? It didn't matter. Trusting his instincts had saved his life more than once, and he wasn't about to disregard them now. He edged backward toward the car, keeping his eyes on the area of the forest where the movement had been heard. He startled when he bumped into the driver's side mirror, nearly dropping the keys that had been clenched white-knuckled tight in his palm. Taking a moment to laugh at himself, he flexed his aching hand and finally turned around to walk back to the rental's hatchback. He picked up the toilet paper and was just about to slam the trunk shut when he felt the unmistakable heat of heavy breath on the back of his neck. He froze. Freezing cold sweat poured from his brow as he spun around to see what in the hell was behind him. Nothing. There was nothing. He let out his breath and sat down on the edge of the cargo area. What the hell is wrong with me? He said out loud. He wiped the sweat from his face with his t-shirt and took a deep breath. He was fighting hard to calm down, but the feeling of danger never subsided. He pushed the hatch closed and started to move around the car. When a howl or scream, somehow both, tore through the night air. It wasn't like anything he had ever heard. He dropped the toilet paper on the ground and broke into a sprint for the cabin. With every step, he could hear branches snapping in the distance behind him. No bigger than branches. Do you think breaking trees? He slammed through the front door and threw it shut behind him, spinning around to assess the situation through the small window to the right. The dim porch light revealed enough for him to see trees swaying just beyond the parking spot. What the f- Marty! He jumped nearly out of his skin at the sound of Natalie's voice. Where's the teepee? Come on, dear! She yelled from the bathroom. Nat! Nat, forget about it. 
You got a drip dry love. There's a fucking bear out there. He proclaimed, walking toward the bathroom door. You guys have bears out here, right? She walked through the bathroom door, visibly annoyed. Yes, dear. Black bears. That's why we have the trail guard. Didn't you take it? One spray of that shit and you won't see them again. What happened? He relayed the entire experience to her in a couple of minutes, constantly letting his eyes wander back to the small window beside the door. More than once, he was almost certain he caught some bright yellow eye shine just beyond the car. Let's just hope it was a bear, she said worriedly. What do you mean, hope? Why would we want it to be a bear? He was confused. As a guy who grew up in Southern California, he couldn't imagine a worst-case scenario than a run-in with a bear in the middle of nowhere. I told you, you have to be careful out here. Weird shit, remember? Yeah, yeah, okay. He didn't know what that meant, but he felt safe in the cabin. And as the adrenaline left his body, he found himself exhausted. They both fell asleep on the couch in front of the fire soon after. They awoke to a pounding on the front door. A heavy, forceful pounding that startled them both out of sleep immediately. Martin jumped up from the couch and started toward it. Natalie grabbed him hard by the arm. No. No. Do not go anywhere near that door. What are you talking about? Someone's knocking. He replied still shaking off the sleep. The knocking resumed, this time from the other end of the house. He jerked his head around in confusion. Then knocking came from the wall behind the kitchen, and it wasn't long before they were completely surrounded by the noise, knocking from every direction, soon joined by long, scraping sounds that seemed to run the length of the cabin. What the fuck is going on here, Natalie? He demanded. Come back to the couch. It it can't come in. It can't. I've heard this before. It can't come in, she explained. Suddenly, as Martin walked toward the couch, the cacophony ceased entirely. A moment of eerie silence hung in the air just before it was destroyed by the same tortured howl that he had heard earlier in the evening. He froze again, sweat soaking his terrified face. Howl finally died out. He had a moment to catch his breath before the knocking, the scratching, the scraping, the pounding all came back at once, twice as loud. Oh Jesus. Oh man. Oh God. What the hell, man? It's alright. It's alright. Just come to me. We'll be okay in here. We just have to stay here. The sun will be up soon. Come here. Come here. She attempted in a comforting tone. He walked around the couch and knelt in front of her on the floor, laying his head in her lap. She put a hand on either side of his head, massaging his temples the way she used to when he woke from his nightmares. It's alright, dear. Just breathe. The terrorizing sound seemed to subside gradually with his anxiety. She was so focused on comforting Martin that the errant coals from the fireplace went unnoticed. The heavy rug in front of them began to smolder, and it wasn't until the smoke reached Martin's nose that they became aware of what was happening right next to them. 
He raised his head quickly, and they both saw that the rug had been set ablaze. He leaped into action, snatching it from the ground. Open the door, Nat! Open the door! She raced to the door and threw it open, and he launched the quickly incinerating animal skin out the door, well over the front porch. She slammed the door shut behind it and turned to see that, in his haste, he had run the rug across the curtains, and flames were now racing toward the ceiling. Oh shit, Marty, we have to go! She threw the door back open and they ran from the cabin, leaping over the burning rug just below the porch. They ran to the car and climbed into their seats. Martin began patting his pockets furiously. Keys! 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 Where are the keys? They both looked up to see that the fire had nearly engulfed the entire cabin behind them. Were the keys in the cabin? Could he have been that stupid? Damn it! I don't have the keys. Do you have the keys? He asked hopefully. No, you had them! She snapped back. This fire is going to get out of control fast. We have to get out of here. There's another cabin we passed about a half a mile down. We can hoof it, okay? He offered. She was obviously hesitant to accept this plan. He may have forgotten about the shitstorm that had occurred just before the fire, but she knew what was going on here. And going out there felt like the worst idea she had ever heard. "Uh Uh-uh. No way, she said. This fire is serious, Nat. He could jump to the car at any moment. We cannot stay here. She knew he was right. She just couldn't decide what was worse. Burning here, or handling what was waiting for them outside. His unrelenting insistence helped make the decision for her. And it wasn't long before they made their way over the scattered salt line and away from the blazing cottage. The night air may have been cool before, but it was replaced with a breeze carrying the heat from the fire behind them. It was as hot as a summer afternoon as they made their way down the dirt road toward the nearest cabin. The sky was filled with floating embers that each carried away one of Natalie's cherished childhood memories. Whenever she began to feel the grief of the loss she was experiencing, she stomped on her own mental foot and demanded vigilance. She heard that howl. She remembered the stories that used to keep her up at night. She knew what was out here. The howler had come for them. With the distant roar of the fire, it wasn't immediately apparent that something was stalking them from a close distance. Something big moving through the tree line beside the mountain road. But seeming to require response, the beast began making more noise. It soon came to their attention that the trees were swaying next to the road. They could hear something heavy moving through the undergrowth. Kick it up a notch, Natalie. We gotta move. Martin demanded. They both picked up their pace, but it was pointless. It kept up with them easily. It was so close now that they could hear its immense footfalls behind them. When Martin's knee began sending pangs of electricity up his leg, he knew that they wouldn't have a chance. Experience kicked in, and he knew that their only chance was to stand their ground. He grabbed Natalie and moved her behind him. Get big, right? Get big with bears, he thought to himself. He spun around, threw his arms in the air, 
and screamed out as big as he could muster through labored breathing, just as the galling Goliath broke through the tree line. It was not a bear. It was roughly the size of a bear, but a grizzly bear, a big one, at least five feet tall at the shoulder, the thick body, stocky legs, and long black shaggy hair. But above all, what shocked Martin the most was a massive set of curved horns sitting just above the large glowing yellow eyes. What the hell was this thing? Getting big didn't work. The behemoth rushed straight for them, and Martin could hear Natalie screaming, but it sounded far away as his life flashed before his eyes. Childhood, school, the war, their wedding, it all played out in an instant as the snarling and surprisingly feline-like face lunged toward him. He braced for impact. It was all he could do. Just hope that it would be satisfied with him and leave his wife alive. He grit his teeth so hard that he could feel one of them crack and tightened his chest. And then, nothing. He opened his eyes. There was nothing. He and Natalie stood alone on a deserted mountain road, embers floating almost beautifully through the night air around them. What was... Natalie! Hey, Natalie! What... what happened? He asked stupidly. She just stood there looking at him. It's over, she offered weakly. It's over. They took a moment to regroup before walking to the nearest cabin in a daze. No cars, doors locked. Martin broke a window only to find that there was no phone inside. Dejected and disoriented, they decided to just walk back to their cabin and see what was left of it. As the sun began rising over the Missouri countryside, they approached the pile of burnt rubble that was their cabin. Shockingly, the fire never jumped to the car. It sat completely intact just 20 feet from the ruins. At a distance of 50 yards, Martin spotted a glint of sunlight coming from the back of the compact rental. The keys were dangling from the hatchback. He pulled them out, started the car, and they drove to the nearest town. Martin didn't say a word. He just drove silently as Natalie mumbled under her breath. It's an omen. It's an omen. It doesn't take you. It warns you. It's an omen. Bare feet and ash-stained faces. They bought sandals from the gas station and tickets for home at the airport. Later that day, Natalie's mother and Martin's superior officer received an identical phone call. Flight 5265 from Springfield to San Diego went down in the Sonoran Desert. There were no survivors. They were very sorry for their loss. So what happened that day in the Ozark Wilderness? Is the Ozark Howler truly a preternatural harbinger of doom? Whether this is your belief or not, it is difficult to argue with nearly two centuries of consistent sightings and encounters. Regardless of your opinion, 
It is clear that something is stalking those who find themselves out at night in the wilds of the Ozarks. An enormous bear-sized feline chimera with an excruciating howl that haunts the dreams of those who hear it for decades. So pay close attention the next time you find yourself out there. Keep one ear to the ground and cross your fingers that you never hear the unearthly roar of the Ozark Howler. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, an ad break. Greetings, starseeds. It is I, the all-knowing alien, channeling this message for you. Our oracle deck lands. Kickstarter. 5-1-2022. Join us today at Celestial Alien Oracle Instagram. And now, the debrief. All right. Before we get started with the debrief, I just want to say a good friend of the show's, um, the Crescent Hair on on Instagram. We've been running her ad this month for her um, for her Kickstarter for a an awesome project she's working on, which is an Oracle deck. So if you're into like tarot or any of that, you should definitely go support her. She's the same artist who designed our Jersey Devil T-shirt. So, um, follow the link in the show notes and go support her Kickstarter for sure. Definitely. Okay. So let's get um, started. Yeah. I What'd was going to say on, on that note, I, I did, uh, I liked it. This is probably one of the longest stories, uh, or the longest story that we've had on the show thus far. Absolutely. By like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we appreciate the listeners being able to make it through it, but I think it should be pretty easy. Uh, you did a, yeah. you definitely did a good job setting it up, setting the scene and everything. And then the ending, I was really curious what was going to happen, but I yeah. didn't quite expect that. So, Excellent. Now, I did have one quick question. Because I, yeah. I thought that like they were visiting, and maybe I had misunderstood, um, but I thought that they were going to go visit like her family... No, it or was, was, it it was her family cabin. The, yeah, just kind of going back and visiting the area that she basically grew up. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to say, because they were never a part of it until no. until the ending, obviously. No, it was like the cabin that her family owned that she spent like vacations at when right. she was a kid. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess getting into this, which I'm kind of... I'm impressed that the salt line, like the salt perimeter, right? When yeah. she had him like pull forward a little bit, like I'm yeah. surprised that didn't break that. Or did she like yeah, go it's... back sneakily and like cover, you know, like put a little bit of salt down? No, it's a, it's a heavy salt line. Okay. Cause he like, you know, he fucked it up when he knelt down and, Right, right. Slid his foot back and broke the salt line. And I know he said it felt like similar to sand, so I imagine. I mean, it's probably pretty, you know, pretty thick, heavy. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah so obviously like you know that was uh like i'm surprised like he didn't try and you know he sees that this is there and wouldn't try and like maybe try and touch it back up um you know yeah. I mean, even as weird as it is right like if i yeah. saw like a, a big giant salt like salt perimeter around an area and i happened to break it i'd be like oh man i better put this back even though i don't know what this means or why this is here so i don't yeah i mean it's it, I think it's easy for us to think that because, like, I was we really do that. know, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you kind of, you kind of, it, you know, you see something like that, and you're like, okay, this means something. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not just like, why is this salt here? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, obviously, it's something to either keep something in or something out, right? Yeah, obviously. In this case, to keep it out, right? For sure. Now, the other thing that I want to point out, like, obviously, in this case, you know, they, they get in, like, this thing is, like, beating on all the walls and the doors, everything, like, all this is going on, and she's just telling him, like, stay here, everything's gonna be fine, you know, it'll be daylight soon enough, and, you know, that'll be the end of it. Yeah. How did they kick this rug so close to the fire? What do you mean? Like just for or i guess so was it just like some of the embers or the coals of the fire ended up outside of the fire and ended up on the rug is that what happened yeah just from like a normal fireplace like pop and crackle sometimes it throws embers you know you got to be careful with that sounds like that's a really bad bad place to put that rug in the first place then yeah i mean (laughs) you would be shocked by how many cabins burn down every year because of that you know people always like that trope of having like the big heavy like bearskin rug or whatever right, right. in front of their of fireplace course. right yeah yeah i mean you see that yeah. a lot in like movies and stuff like that and you know exactly so but yeah that's uh i was i was it just all of a sudden it was just like shit hit the fan and it was just one thing after the next yeah see that's the thing with the ozark Haller, though that's the big takeaway is encounters with it are said to be like a harbinger of doom, right? Like it's a bad omen. It right. means bad luck is coming. And like, as soon as he had that experience out there when he was, you know, the breath on the neck and the, he made eye contact with it through the window and like all these things, then just bad luck starts piling on one thing after another. So if he wouldn't have broken that kind of salt line, would they have been okay had this still this kind of thing happen? I and mean, she and her family had spent you know generations out there right. at that cabin just fine. Okay, right. So, ostensibly, if the salt line was there, they would have been okay. I would think so. And she probably should have mentioned something. <laughs> you would think, right? Yeah, that right. too. Like, I mean, I know that she was all like on edge and everything, you know, as they were getting there. But she could have been like, hey, just to let you know, I know it yeah. seems silly, but this is something we have. You'll notice that this is here. Whatever you do, don't step in it. Don't yeah. break it. Don't do anything. Leave it untouched. You know, like, that's yeah. that's it. Uh, but I would think, like, even driving over would disturb it more than dropping your knee to it. But maybe not. I mean, it wasn't just, I tried to describe in the story, like, it wasn't just dropping his knee to it. Like, you know how you slide your foot backwards when you go down on one knee? Yeah. 
Like he literally like shoves his foot Kicked through the line and, and right. yeah, okay. and breaks the line. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. Whereas like a tire, you know, applies even pressure as it rolls. You know, it probably would have just smashed the line down. Maybe. A little. Unless you're like spinning out in it. Right. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> I'm curious. Now I want to recreate this and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, me too. No, but these are some of like the, those those open open questions that I I was just kind of curious yeah. about as I was listening. And For so, sure. yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, when that happened, you knew like something something's coming. And just this whole ordeal with you know them hearing all this stuff like that that affecting. But the thing is, is like it also doesn't happen until the fourth day that they're even there. Yeah, and so. I, which I'm actually I am surprised though that he didn't mention the salt until then like even though like so you would think like especially somebody being not familiar with that that would kind of yeah. stick out and you'd be like so this you know this happened like you would be more I think you'd be more mindful to remember to say something but I don't know I think he in my mind at least he just got caught up in the you know, relaxation, yeah, the that's like possible too. chilling, the yeah, and okay. just wanted to leave weird stuff because you know he didn't ask in the moment because that he had he had just dealt with the weird her weird mood shift that happened. You know, once she was behind the salt line, her mood completely changed. Um, so yeah, he was already weirded out. So he basically was just like, "I'm gonna leave this alone." And I did like that you mentioned the first time that he left the keys in the hatch. Yeah. Just to kind of, yeah, just kind of set it up for the next time that he goes out to, to what, get the toilet paper or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you kind of expect that to happen. Like he's maybe just, you know, in a hurry or whatever else, like, yeah. like it, how it was first of all. So. It makes sense that, of course, the keys would be in there when they get back. Yeah, like that's some that's some bad luck, though. <laughs> right? Bad luck, man. Yeah, it, it follows the howler. Because you think you think if they could have gotten into the car and driven away, could they have outran it? Maybe. Or is is that thing? Is it still going to always be? right there alongside them because it is this bad omen or this like right you know so and that's that's the big question is are if we're talking about something physical or if we're talking about something something preternatural yeah and i guess i guess that's where that question leads into yeah yeah and i mean there are a lot of theories about the ozark howler of course of course there are theories like Standard cryptozoologists, they, like, they often speculate that, like, it's a misidentified big cat, basically, is what people are seeing, Mm -hmm. right? And then you have, like, anthropologists and folklorist types who, and I like this explanation, is that it's sort of like a branching off of the, the black dog legend from England, from the UK. Okay. Because this this area in the Ozarks, a lot of the Ozarks was it was um founded basically. A lot of these little towns in the Ozarks were founded by immigrants from England and Ireland and Scotland. 
So a lot of their legends and folklore came with them, obviously. Right. Right? Yeah. And this, there are so many parallels between the Ozark Howler and the Black Dog legends, like the idea that it's a dark omen, mm-hmm. the uh, like the glowing yellow or red eyes, the like, um, the never... A lot of people report that they can't really tell where it ends and the dark and the darkness around it begins. Yeah. You know, it's like almost like smoke. It almost like looks like living smoke sometimes, you know? That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, right? And like it's almost like they brought their their folklore and legends with them and it even like took a some physical characteristics of like North American animals, you know, like they took the black dog and they made it like the size of a bear. Right. And then they gave it like the face of like a mountain lion. Yeah. And they have these big horns for like, you know, bison and Buffalo. It's that's always felt right to me that this is just like an extension of that legend. Mm hmm from the UK. Yeah, I mean, that would make a lot of sense for sure. You know, that mean, almost a twist. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, legends and folklore go with cultures no matter where they go, and they get bent and twisted and reshaped by other influences. And, you know, again, um, we'll go back to when we, when you covered zombies for Halloween last year. You know, the idea of that, like, Haitian zombie lore making it to to the u.s and it getting like bent and shaped and and basically refocused into what we know of zombies now by american culture right that happens all the time with everything yeah i mean just well just as things do i mean especially getting past uh passed down you know of course there's going to be alterations and things like that that are going to add to you add to this whether it's a story or, you know, this physical thing or something like that, you know, that's being talked about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's a huge point. Yeah, Um, of course. But, you know, there are, like, biologists who think this is, that what people are seeing is, like, a mountain lion breed that's been, like, mutated into a new subspecies or, like, a hybrid between a mountain lion and something else. Yeah. Um, I suppose that could be possible. The big problem with that is, okay, so I honestly, I didn't know this before I was researching, but an animal can only have offspring with members of its own genus, right? Like, well, that's why like um, cats can't mate with dogs and right, you know, but like, but it's, but it's more than that. Cause like a lion and a tiger can have, uh, can have, can have offspring. Right. Right. But uh, like a lion and a mountain lion cannot because they're not in the same genus like okay. they literally cannot create offspring um, so the only other animal in a mountain lion in the mountain lion's genus which is puma puma is the genus name um, is a thing called uh, jaguarundi have you ever heard of that I don't think it's so this- yeah, I hadn't either. All it's right. this super cool, like, kind of smaller um, big cat. It's, um... But it's smaller than a mountain lion. Right. Yeah, okay. Okay. I'm looking at it so right now. So that's... 
That's literally the only non-mountain lion animal that a mountain lion could make offspring with. And I'm having trouble wrapping my head around how like an 80-pound mountain lion and a 40-pound jaguarundi could produce a 600-pound Ozark howler. Right. You know? It's, it looks so funny. It almost Yeah, it's pretty cute. It almost kind of looks ferret-ish. Yeah. Yeah. They're like lower to the ground. They're like kind of squat. Mm-hmm. cats yeah all right they get fairly cool. big though but yeah that's that's the point i was making is like mating with that wouldn't make something bigger yeah it make something smaller of course right yeah i mean it's but is you would you would think if it would need to be able to mate with something larger you know the size yeah, of a like bear a, or a yeah bear like a kodiak or, bear right exactly yeah okay the more you know because I didn't know that. I didn't know a lion and a mountain lion couldn't mate. You know, I just... Yeah. Seems like you would just assume, you know, big cats, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I had a feeling there were, like, lions a little more right. specific. But, yeah. like, I wasn't sure exactly where the lion... But it's genus. You have to be in... They have to be in the same genus All to right. produce offspring. This is now a... Um, yeah. yeah. It's a biology podcast. Exactly. <laughs> um... So other guesses for like what this thing has been misidentified for is like wild boar because the the horns yeah being and they can get pretty tusks big. being yeah. right um there's also there also was a thing they're super rare now but actually I don't even know if they're still there but there's a thing called an eastern woodland bison that like that may have been misidentified for a lot of the early sightings. Um, it's basically just a... It's a fucking bison. Right. I mean, it's a, that's... It's a big, giant I was I was just going to check to see if it's, you know, like anything I'd... Yeah, okay. Exactly what I'd imagine it'd look like. Yeah. Um, All right. And the one interesting thing is... Some people have speculated that it's a surviving member of the Creodont family. Which is long extinct... It's, it was these massive, the creodonts were basically massive carnivores Okay. that existed up until like 9 million years ago. They died off about 9 million years ago. Um, but none of them ever had horns. There's, the names of them are all like 17 syllables long and I'm not going to try to, yeah. you know. There, I mean, there are obviously a lot of problems with that, you know, um, considering the fact that they don't exist anymore. Unless, but you know, that leads us back to that old Hollow Earth <laughs> conversation, <laughs> right, right? Yeah, you know, which is a cool some, thing to think about. Some, you know, surviving uh, thing that has been able to live through this extinction could yeah. be Hollow Earth, you know. I mean, I I tend to try to, like, I try to reconcile, like, maybe it's not hollow earth. Maybe it's just, like, a cavern deep enough for something to survive right. undiscovered, right? Yeah, I, like, I, I, I tend to also kind of think about that, too. And that's, yeah. that's where I still believe that maybe there's, like, an underwater island somewhere. You know, with, yeah. with dinosaurs, still. 
Man, I hope that's true. I really um, do. <laughs> but my problem with this one being something like that is a predator that large would require so much prey. Like, so much. It would have to yeah. come out so often to hunt. It would it would be a it would be really I mean, obviously we see a lot of bears. It's because they have to be out actively hunting so often because Maybe they're, they're not so always big. bears. Maybe. Maybe some of those bears are howlers. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And we mistake a lot of a lot of other things for you know what is actually this. I I mean of course, anything's possible, right? <laughs> this is Tales of the Strange and Unsettling, yeah. where anything is possible. I yeah. I personally, I don't think it's completely physical. I think it's something it's able to manifest, but then yeah. also able to just be gone in like a split second, right? Maybe something like spiritual or something like that. Yeah. Something otherworldly. Of course. Yeah. Always otherworldly. I mean, it feels that way to me in the in a lot of the stories. And I know I end up saying that a lot, but... And I don't know how much of... You know, how much of it is perception. But so many of these cryptid sightings have... Have factors that make me think outside of biology, you know? Yeah, I agree with that for sure. They attribute so many odd happenings to to the quote-unquote animal that they're encountering, you know? I mean, I've said it a billion times, when, like, Bigfoot goes over a ridge and just vanishes. Mm-hmm. Like, elk don't do that. Right, you know? exactly. Anything normal can't do that. Right. And then the same kind of stuff happens in, like, Ozark Howler reports, right? Right, like, just like even in this the story massive... where all of a sudden it was... yeah. It's just there and gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But people report these like massive lumbering beasts and like they come out of nowhere with no warning. And it's like, that's not possible. When an Eastern woodland bison is running toward you, you know, for about 10 minutes before it gets there, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like that shit is massive. You can hear it coming. Like, when a grizzly bear is tearing through the underbrush... Oh, yeah. You hear it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... I guess that's... That's the thing. You know, that's, like... One of those... Why I don't think it's completely... You're completely physical. But maybe, you know, at the end of the day, all these are just aliens. Yeah? Yeah. You know, maybe these are these are races, or you know, different <laughs> different things. Just because you know, we can't really describe or like understand how how these things can come about, or where they come from, or where they go. Yeah, I mean that's the thing with theories like that. You can't say no, no way, right? Right? Like. Cause, who the fuck knows? It's nobody. Mm. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Um, I have a couple cool um, encounters. Okay. Encounter stories, if you'd yeah, like to hear awesome. them. Okay, so 
This one, because a few months ago I wrote an article on the Ozark Howler for Paranormality Magazine. Right. And um, when I was doing that, I had a, I had someone call and relay to me their experience. I actually like got it in a phone interview. Sweet. Um, so I'll just read some from that for you. And... Um, in March of 2005, the Howler was spotted several times by a family living in Van Buren in the Boston Mountains in Crawford County, Missouri. They determined that the best course of action would be to set out trail cameras after numerous sightings of what they believed to be a cougar. Considering the fact that mountain lions were extirpated from Missouri in the 1920s, even this sighting had them flustered. While the husband and wife team worked to establish a grid of cameras across their 10-acre property, they had an encounter that neither of them will ever forget. They recounted the event to me recently in a phone phone interview. Okay, so, quote, The woods felt weird that day, just off somehow. Honestly, at first I wrote it off as having a big breakfast and feeling sluggish. But my husband felt the same way. The air was heavy. It's that same feeling you get in the woods when you know something has its eye on you. My husband is a big hunter, so that's a feeling he usually likes because it means there's probably game around. But it was pure discomfort for me. To me, it sort of felt like we were the game, you know? So, he was about 30 yards ahead of me setting up a camera. I was pouring coffee from a thermos just watching the woods, and I heard a branch snap. I don't know if it was underfoot or broken from a tree, but it was loud. It scared me. So bad that I dropped the thermos and ran up ahead of him. He had heard it too. He had already drawn his pistol when I got to him. If it was just a branch snapping, that would have been fine, but it didn't stop. More snapping branches came right after. Heavy footfalls. Something big was clearly moving through the woods, and it seemed like it was headed straight for us. Now I've been around wild animals. We've had bear encounters up north, and those were scary, but the fear that I felt that day was something I've never experienced any other time. Suddenly, all the commotion in the woods stopped on a dime. The woods were silent, and I mean not even a bird singing in the distance. And then it hit us with this howl. I guess you could call it a howl. We used to live up in Idaho, so I know when I'm hearing an elk bugle. It was similar, but there was something ragged about it, like a growl mixed in. I don't know, but we hightailed it out of there after that. We've heard a lot of stories about the Howler since we came to the Ozarks in the 90s, but after that, I know it's real. End quote. Yeah. I mean, that would be pretty hard to dismiss. Yeah. Like, especially as you're hearing these stories about these things moving to the area, and then you experience something like that. And especially with, like, the breaking of the branches and all of that just becoming so I guess you said it was more like almost like everywhere it wasn't just the one it was it was happening a lot yeah it's a scary story it's it freaks me out I'm trying to kind of put myself in that that situation and yeah I think I'd probably poop myself (laughs) yeah it's scary dude I can't imagine being out there just like especially that feeling like something's just like running you down Mm mm-hmm you know, like you can hear it getting closer and closer. And then to have that just cut off all of a sudden. And then that howl. That man. Yeah. That's. I mean, luckily he 
had a pistol with them or something yeah. you know, to offer protection. Yeah, but, they were expecting a, it was a mountain lion out there, and you know, yeah. you don't fuck around with mountain lions either. Did they say if anything else happened after that point, or did they just did they just leave and never hear it again, or what happened? No, they they ran trail cameras for like over a year out there, and they they never caught anything. Never saw anything odd. Okay, yeah. Um, her now her daughter has had a couple sightings that she thought was like on the out in the like far reaches of their property she's seen some some things that she thought were a mountain lion or a cougar okay um but there aren't cougars in missouri that's not a thing so i don't know i don't know what it is yeah that's creepy yeah absolutely I definitely, yeah, I mean, as much as, like, I love the idea of, like, living living somewhere either in the mountains or, you know, surrounded by forests and stuff like that. It's dangerous, man. Those are the little things that make me not want to at all. Yeah. Yeah. We live in our, like, soft, cushy little towns. Right. Exactly. Like, that shit, they're actual, it's actually dangerous out there. Like, it's so different. It's very different. Yeah. If you're like, if you're the only people that live within 30 miles of you, there's no way to express how much more dangerous your life is. Oh, yeah. Always. Always. I mean, like, yeah. Not having at least neighbors semi close or somebody yep. nearby. Yeah. You, you're just putting like, yourself in, like, in just a bad position. Yeah. I mean, if I slip in the shower and go through the glass door. I can call 911 and be in a hospital in 15 minutes. Yeah. Tops. Of course. If you live 30, 50, 200 miles out into the wilderness, there's no ambulance for you. You know what I mean? Like, I know that's obvious, but like, it's just so much more dangerous to live like that. I've gotten uh, really into watching like videos of people that live, uh, you know, try to live off grid or that do successfully live off grid like Um, subsistence living yeah yeah and there was uh there was this couple that i watched a lot um which now i'm getting into another uh, random story but it was kind of that similar situation you know they were eight hours from like the nearest hospital yeah and you know so it was like they had to actually take a boat to get even to where there was even a town. So like right. Yeah, I mean that just that's crazy to me. It's crazy to not have like at least things like that, you know, available yeah. semi semi close. Yeah, some of the amenities of civilization. But it's yeah, also none. really cool though. Like I I would love to be able yeah. to do it. I just know I could never do it. Most of those people who live like that, they go out of their way to obtain like medical training you know what i mean so that they can handle like at least moderate medical emergencies themselves yeah yeah of course like yeah but what blows my mind is people who live like that alone like i get even like a couple or like occasionally like a pair of couples Mm -hmm. will go out and like you know build a thing or whatever and live out there but like 
people that live up in like the Arctic Circle alone. Yeah, I, like, I that I could, I could never do that. I could never do that at all. That's so dangerous, dude. It's aside from being lonely, of course, right. but like, yeah, it's also so incredible. Like, you could die and no. That's one of those stories that people go like, I don't know what ever happened to Tom. <laughs> like, <laughs> he just moved up north and no one ever heard from him again. Meanwhile, he's like an ice cube. Yeah. Being like licked like a popsicle by a family of bears. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just set a nice image here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, it's, um, I, I definitely agree. And like I said, even though it's like something I think is awesome and, you know, sounds like it would be cool in theory. I just, I do. And maybe it's just me worrying about all the little things and the what ifs, right? Yeah. That a lot of people probably don't even think about that. Like, you know, they're not, they're not worried about little things or the what ifs. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm the king of neuroses. So I, I, I totally understand. Sure. Yeah. I could never. Dude. Um, but maybe you like, maybe that like loneliness or fear when you're out in the wilderness plays a part in these cryptid sightings and encounters. Yeah. You I, know? Could, I could see that. Yeah. More something like your mind playing tricks on you sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe like a a physical embodiment of your anxiety and your fears, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about tulpas just a couple weeks ago. Exactly, like, yeah. It's almost similar. You know, it's almost similar yeah. to the idea of that. You know, if your mind is thinking about these things, then, you know, you can let yourself either believe, you know, believe something or... Yeah, in this case, maybe even see something that's not really there. Yeah. Or maybe it really is there, and it's there because you're thinking of it. You know? That's a different way to look at it, right? Right, exactly. Because if you're seeing it, it's as real as as seeing a robin land in its nest from a distance, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not like, you're not physically confirming that you saw that, Right. right? When you see a bird land on a tree branch, it doesn't have to be something physically there. But if you see it, then you're seeing what is there. Yeah, yeah, that experience is still valid. Yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, I mean, if I you agree. see like a a big lumbering beast, you know, forty yards out into the woods, that's you can assume that that. I mean, to you, that happened, right? You make a fair point. You're not like running off to do a DNA test on a squirrel that you saw run across the branch. You just go like, I saw a squirrel on a branch, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's fair. That's fair for sure. Cool. I don't know. I, I tend to have a weird way to look at these things, but like I have another, I have another encounter. Yeah. It was just about to, to ask to, if you had another one. Yeah. This one's a bit shorter. So um, this comes from... A guy who was out in his teens, he was out with his Boy Scout troop camping, and they had an experience. So, once while I was on a camping trip in Oklahoma with my Boy Scout troop, we saw something that looked like this. It was late at night, and we all were divided into two large tents. One of the other scouts shook me and the other four of us awake in the dead of night when when he thought he had heard a bear. 
At first we thought he was playing a prank because he was kind of the joker of our scout troop. After a moment we heard rustling and sniffing nearby. We all grabbed our flashlights and started looking through the tent's opening. What we saw was a big creature, which at the time we described as being dog-like, but not a dog or wolf or coyote. But it looked almost exactly like <clears throat> like the Ozark Howler. It was, it was followed by three smaller ones, which we assumed were cubs. We started shouting and screaming until the other tent woke up, and the adults ran out as it ran into the forest around us. The rest of the night, one scout and one adult stayed up and kept the campfire going. And, ca- and come morning, we packed up and hiked out. So, like, that's a whole group of kids. Right. They saw the same thing. Yeah. So this is where I get back to that original question, though. Like, if this is supposed to be, like, a sign of something negative or a bad omen or, you know, a harbinger of doom or whatever else, what happens if you if you happen to see it? Is it not the same same situation? I mean, that's a good question. Right. Right? Like, if you just... Ha- like, if it didn't plan on you seeing it? Yeah. I don't know, because there's two different versions of this, right? There's the idea that it's an animal and that it, like, you might just happen upon it, right? And just, Still needs to feed and... Right. Right. And then there's the idea of it being this entity that, like, is going to come to you when your life's about to go off the rails. Right? Hmm. So, who knows? And I don't know if... Does a harbinger of doom necessarily the cause of the doom... Or is it just a messenger, right? Right. Same question is always asked about the messenger, right? You know, right. The same question is always asked about Mothman, right? With like the Silver Bridge collapse, the idea that like he was there to warn the people of Point Pleasant. Is that a hero or a villain? Right. Like, was the Ozark Howler in the story I wrote? Was that there to tell them like, don't get on the plane, stupid? You know, or was it there? I don't know. I don't know. Or did it set them up for what was to come? Right. Or did it like run them off early so they'd get on the plane and crash? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. See, and that's if they had stayed the rest of the two weeks and got on, would that plane have crashed? Or would they have missed the plane that crashed? Talking about all these plane crashes makes me never want to get on another plane. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> Yeah. I think I just said plane crash like 11 times in like 30 seconds. Sorry. Um, But really, like, that's that's a big question. If we, like, even if, even if we decide that it is this, like, preternatural harbinger of doom, which is already, like, answering 15 questions that we don't have answers for. But if we got to that point, does that make it villainous or heroic? is a huge problem, right? Sure. I mean, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's probably both. I, I would say. I mean, it, I guess it... Maybe it's situational. It's a- I don't know, man. If, like, if you're getting a tarot reading and the person warns you about something bad that's happening, do you blame them for the bad thing happening? Well, it depends. Are they putting a curse on you? Right. <laughs> Are they putting bad energy into your head that then leads to the bad thing happening? Exactly. Right? Yeah, it's a big question. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. 
I have friends who do tarot readings. We have, you know, we have lots of listeners of this show who do yeah. tarot readings. Like, if any of you have some input, please, like, how do, for any of you who do tarot readings, I'm looking at you, Carly. If any of you who do tarot readings, let us know, like, if you give, if you, if a card comes up and it's something bad or negative and you give that person that bad news, do you feel like you're helping them avoid it or giving them a chance of avoiding it? Or is it like, do you feel bad telling them the bad news? I'm, I, cause I don't know. I suppose like my understanding, especially when it comes to tarot and you have, you know, say something that is possibly negative or, you know, it's, it's a more so like, warning you on how honest uh, uh, almost on how like you can you know this is possible that this is coming up maybe change your life change the way you do things you approach things you know right that this is a possible avenue that you could be going down it's not like a you know definite or whatever else right 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 i know generally it's like a, if you keep if you keep doing this this bad thing could happen right or you know what i mean so maybe if the Ozark Howler could just learn to speak English, you could say, it could hey, be helping these people. This could happen. Right? Maybe, maybe don't do this. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Right. If you don't stop working 120 hours a week, you're going to end up dying young. That's what the Ozark Howler needs to be saying. Yeah. Exactly. It's just not. Yeah. It's it's definitely it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. Uh, you know, it's kind of just weird to think about. And that's why there, there's just so many questions, you know, that kind of that that raises on what, yeah. like, what is actually happening? What is it? What is it actually meaning? You know, so, yeah, I think, like you said, it's just a little, it's, it's just everything. Yes, it's this, it's that, it, you know, it can be this or that. Yeah. When I was, when I was doing the, doing the research for this, I came across this blog, this, um, what are they called? WordPress. This like random WordPress blog that this guy writes. He's from the Ozarks. And he he doesn't put his name out there or anything. But he was writing about the Ozark Howler. And he wrote something that I think is super important. And not just for the Ozark Howler, but for all the people out there like that are looking into cryptozoological stuff. Okay. All of it. Like, so I'd just like to read this little piece of, of his blog. Go for it. And I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to read the whole blog. Cause it's pretty fantastic. I think he hits the nail like right on the head. So he says, and yes, the sightings of the Ozark Howler continue as they have for generations. Whether or not the Ozark Howler is actually a physical, real animal, cryptozoologists who rushed to declare the Ozark Howler a hoax never bothered to research Ozark folklore, which is chock full of descriptions of the Howler and other creatures like it. The cryptozoological community also never bothered to understand Ozark culture and the relationship that, that people in the Ozark Mountains have with literal truth. If they had shown any interest in genuine, on-the-ground research where we live, they would have noted the title of a book by celebrated Ozark folklorist Vance Rudolph, 
we always lie to strangers. Every description of bizarre beasts by Ozark storytellers comes with the open question of whether the eyewitness report is in earnest or just a prank. That's how we talk about things around here. But the cryptozoologists wouldn't know that because they have remained strangers to our way of life. The Ozark Howler is not a cryptid. Neither is the Snophis or the Gorau or the Gemplicate. They are creatures of our Ozark culture of which we are proud. Maybe there are Ozark Howlers out in the woods, maybe not. Whatever the truth is, the truth isn't the point. Over in England, Queen Elizabeth's royal grounds have many depictions of unicorns and griffins. No one goes over and accuses Queen Elizabeth of perpetrating a hoax, or tries to search Britain to photograph a living unicorn. The English are given credit for thinking metaphorically. Please give people in the Ozarks the same credit. That's solid. Yeah. I don't think people look at things like that. Yeah. It's a huge thing. That's where we get back into, like, cultures and things like that. Folklore, you know. Things that have been a part of these different cultures or areas or different, you know, people and things like that. Just because... You you want to give it you know, this much credibility for being this type of thing. You, know, you have to also take it for what it actually is. It's yeah. a part of their history. It's a part of that that area, right? Yeah, and I've heard I've heard similar sentiments um, from from locals, especially in like Africa, in countries in Africa where people will get these like poorly translated reports of monsters. And they'll, these cryptozoologists will just like rush in and they'll get these, you know, reports that are obviously like sarcastic, like, but they, they can't pick up on the sarcasm. They don't understand the culture. They don't understand. So they end up spending like a year searching for like one eyed flying whatevers in the African countryside. And meanwhile, the like people who actually live there and understand the culture realize that it's just a metaphor for whatever it's a metaphor for. And, you know, they're laughing at the like imperialist European asshole, you know, who's over there just trying to impress their their own culture onto them. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that a lot about other places, but it was like kind of eye opening to hear it about somewhere like I have family that lives that have lived in the Ozarks for 30, 40 years. Yeah. So I, it's weird for me to think of them as like other, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the area, right? Yeah. The like Ozark culture, the like Appalachian culture, like there are insiders and outsiders, right? I feel like people are, they're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Where they rush in and they're like, is it real? Is it not real? And the people, the local people are like, it doesn't matter. It, who cares if it's real or not? It's a part of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I th- like I said, I think that's that's really solid. And, you know, as... Before, I guess, before, you know, even even me, like, thinking about things or, like, going out and, like, you know, whether or not I, I buy into these, you know, different things that we talk about, right? You know, yeah. like, that's something I have to remind myself to think about. As, yeah. You know, just because, like, I want to, you know, I want to say, oh, is this real or, you know, is this, like, all fake or is it just silly or whatever else, that doesn't matter. Right. Because it is what it is. Right. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. I, I don't think, I don't often think of it like that or a lot of the things we talk about like that. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. It's easy to just like want an answer. Exactly. You yeah, know, for sure. And there are a lot of things in the world that I'd love to know the answer to. Oh you know? man, same. Like, <laughs> like you it's know, always that's... when we talk when we talk aliens. Mm-hmm. I want to know the answer. Agree. You know what I mean? Agreed. Like, and that's even that might be a little narrow-minded because that's become a huge part of just American culture and who we mm-hmm. are as Americans. You know what I mean? Like, but. I, I want to know if, I agree. if there's something else out there. But I think especially when we talk cryptids, when we talk like these these cultural icons, right? I think it's really important to understand that whether we whether we whether they're an actual physical living beast out in the forest or not, they are important. Right? Yeah, I agree. They're like culturally significant. Yeah, that's. I think that's probably the best takeaway from this whole like this whole episode, uh, yeah. you know, and discussion is. I don't know. I feel like maybe that'll help affect my my way of thinking. You know, going Good. forward, as long as I can, as long as I can remind myself to not like, not immediately jump, you know, jump to it. Right. To not get hung up on whether or not it's, you know, that is also hard to do. That's us as human beings. Yeah. That's what you know. Something we do far too frequently. Yeah, we seek seek answers. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to, you know, we didn't grow up listening to stories about the Ozark Howler. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. it wasn't something from our backyards, you know? Um, so it's it's hard to understand just how, like, how important that is to their local culture, you know? It's like, it's huge. It is. And that concludes episode 45, The Ozark Howler. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling it's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes we're just keeping up on our day-to-day and maybe some swag along the way it is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible again that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt, buy a sticker, buy a blanket, buy a pillow, anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram, the brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him 
at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com. Or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.